we often use video games to connect yeah. because my son and I, I can't take my son on the playground and toss a football around right. like other parents can. Uh, you know, I can't go roller skating or do these other things. So instead we play video games yeah. and that's how we connect with him and his brother and me. We, we like to play Ninja Turtles and that's what we do. And that, they were playing Ninja Turtles as we were, <laughs> were talking. And he's like, you know, he said, thank you for doing what you guys do. Like this, having these games here, makes a, we play them every time we're in the hospital. Yeah. makes a big difference. And, you know, for the video game, for, for us, I mean, we see this, you know, every week. Right. I mean, it's happening probably right now as we're speaking, right? Like, you know, there's something happening in a hospital because they're playing on our devices. Yeah. And that kind of, those interactions just, they, I mean, they really light a fire to yeah. like want to make you keep going. Oh, like, good. Welcome to Tardux, a podcast for content creators to come share their experiences, stories, and advice. And today, I am super excited. I have Zach from Gamers Outreach. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Barry? Not too bad. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So, no problem. What we do here, we start things off with three random questions. Let's get the juices flowing. So are you ready? Whew, all right, hit me. All right. Last movie you saw? Mario. Okay. Uh, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Race car driver. Okay. Which my dad we... actually I have one back here. My dad used to build indie cars back in the day. Ah, so that was okay. Like the, that was the thing as a kid. Nice. Okay. He, was, he his, his he wasn't he, he wasn't very supportive of that dream. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do when I was growing up. All right. Well, and that leads me to the third question. So you get to you get two choices here. You get to either do a lap or a couple of laps around any track in the world, or you get to go to a race anywhere in the world. Which which one are you choosing? Do a lap for sure. If I could drive an IndyCar around uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, yeah. that would be pretty awesome. So oh, nice. bucket list, bucket list yep. dream right there. Yep. Very cool. All right. So um, what is your background before Gamer Reach you know, came around? Well, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, let's see. Yeah, I wanted to be a race car driver when I was a kid. Eventually grew up. Uh, now I'm on a go-kart team here in Los Angeles. Oh, no so, you know. I realized, yeah, you become an adult, then uh, you know you can do what you want. You know, you don't have to <laughs> live under your parents' rules anymore. Yeah, so I grew up in Michigan, and at a really young age, developed an interest in video games. You know, was playing sports, had okay grades throughout school, was in a band with friends. We played like Celtic heavy rock. Um, yeah, I guess I, I guess a comparison might be like Dropkick Murphys. Okay, like, um, yeah. Our guitarist also played bagpipes, and so oh, he would kind of wow. switch a little bit. So music was a big thing. Uh, you know, uh, video games were a big thing. Sports were a thing. And, um, but, but video games were always the consistent hobby. And, you know, I would come home from sports practice, come home from school. First thing I was doing was getting on my computer, hopping online, playing games with friends. And just through the years, developed an interest in the video game industry and came to believe I wanted to be working professionally in the gaming industry. And as a youngster, I didn't quite know what that meant really, but just knew that that was the goal. Uh, when I was 16 or 17, uh, so I was about a junior in high school, I developed an interest in organizing video game tournaments. And uh, long story short, I ended up organizing a Halo 2 tournament yeah. at my high school. And I got really excited about this event and started trying to promote it to yeah. all the kids in my community. So I was just really taking initiative. Like I'd put flyers in people's windshields. I was handing out promotional material at my school. 
convinced a bunch of friends to let me borrow their Xbox consoles. Oh, now was this uh, before like sort of, you know, everybody had high speed or, you know, still everybody, you know, the everybody was online gaming at that point or was still sort of like a, you know, a, a unique thing. Yeah, this is like 2006, 2007. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, you know, now I'm trying to think back. DSL, <laughs> broadband, yeah. that stuff started coming out. Like, I mean, I remember, uh, I still have the disc actually behind me. I remember playing like, you know, Warcraft 2, yeah. Battle.net Edition back in the day as a kid, or the original StarCraft. Yeah. And, you know, you'd have like dial-up internet, right? So yeah. like you'd connect and there'd be like, you know, all the sound <laughs> that would, yeah. you know, and your, if your parents were on the phone, they would get disconnected or like vice versa. If they, yeah. if they answered a call while you're in a game, you get disconnected. And that was like a whole, I remember when we got like DSL in our household and that was like a big deal. Yeah. Because suddenly my parents could like make a phone call and it wouldn't interrupt me playing Warcraft right. at the same time. So this is back when, first off, this is, this was during a period of time when I don't even think the word esports yeah really existed in the mainstream vernacular. Yeah. It was, I mean, first off, com video games were barely, I mean, they were existing in the mainstream vernacular, but there was still a lot of cultural stigma mm -hmm. around the gaming community, gaming culture, which actually feeds into the origin story of gamers outreach, funny enough. Um, and land centers were super relevant because if you wanted to compete or really, yeah, if you wanted to play seriously at a competitive level, the best way to do that was to put your computer next to somebody else's and connect on a local area network so that you would avoid any, you know, problem with your connection. Yeah. So that was kind of the era and Halo two in sort of the world of console gaming, Halo two was sort of like really one of the major FPS games for console gamers. I mean, first of all, it was a major FPS game period, like, you know, up there with counter-strike right. in terms of like cultural significance. Um, and you know, for at the time, all of my friends every day at the lunch table were bragging about how good they were at Halo. Yeah. 2. And I developed an interest hosting video game tournaments because over the summer, I actually um, didn't feel well. I got sick. I had mono like yeah. one summer, and I wasn't like in the hospital or anything. But it was just like you know, I didn't feel well. I was staying inside. I ended up missing a bunch of like summer sports practice for yeah. football that year. Uh, and so during that time, I just, I ended up playing way more video games than normal. <laughs> I mean, I was playing a lot of video games anyway, but I yeah. got really good at Mortal Kombat Deception. And this, speaking of online and connectivity, this Mortal Kombat title, I think it was the first Mortal Kombat game that you could play against other people on the internet. And I had logged, I mean, I, I played thousands of games. Um, I think on my server, I broke into like the top 40 of our leaderboard of like 30,000 some players. Um, and it's funny because now in, in hindsight, I can't remember if they like, if that was like all the players collectively or if they had split people up in servers. But in any case, I, I was, I was playing this game a ton and, uh, MTV around that same time period, MTV had this television show called true life. And they did an episode on a professional gamer, uh, T squared, who was a halo player back in the day. Uh, I think he still casts a number of events, um, you know, still in the scene very much. But they were following him around and Walshy and Final Boss and just they were kind of just following the whole sort of like MLG Halo 2 scene. And this was it was my first exposure to like competitive gaming. I had no idea video game tournaments like this existed. I really didn't have a a sense of like the video game industry at large at the time, aside from, you know, reading something in a magazine, you know, or you know, about E3 or whatnot at right. my local GameStop. But I saw this television show and I was like, man, this seems awesome. Selfishly, 
I want to compete. I want to. I wonder if there are Mortal Kombat tournament tournaments around. Yeah. Because I I wanted to brag to all my friends about how good I had gotten at this game. You know, how much time I spent playing Mortal Kombat. Uh, when I got back to school, it turns out I was really the only one playing Mortal Kombat. All my friends were playing Halo. Yeah. Um, I wasn't super big on Halo Two, uh, but I, I I did get hop aboard the wagon when Halo Three came out. Honestly, I was more of a PlayStation fanboy at that yeah. time. Uh, I was playing a lot of like you know, as mentioned, Mortal Kombat, Final Fantasy, more like sort of rpg s games yeah uh and pc games as well but all my friends were playing halo and i was like you know what it would be really cool to organize a video game tournament my friends talk smack every day at the lunch table <laughs> let's put this together and you know give everybody the chance to compete yeah uh and that's kind of where gamers outreach came from i organized this video game tournament i had about 300 kids signed up yeah and a couple of days before it was suppo supposed to happen uh funny enough my parents my mom thought it'd be a really good idea to call our local police department. Yeah. Because, you know, in her mind, and she was right, I think, you know, hey, Zach, you've got all these kids coming to your right. event. I had some parents who had volunteered to chaperone. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you've got rival high schools coming out, some kids from colleges. Yeah. You don't know. Like, maybe it's a nice idea to have, like, T-shirt security guy walking around just to right. make sure kids don't you get rowdy. You have consoles there, and you don't, yeah, you never know. Yeah, right. I mean, I was borrowing all these consoles from friends and I had told all of them, I was like, look, you know, I'll, if anything happens to it, I'll try to, I'll pay you back. Yeah. In reality, that would have been a lot of hours at my minimum wage job at the time. <laughs> so I'm really glad, you know, nothing happened to them. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they weren't at risk anyway. The tournament ended up getting canceled. Oh, shoot. Um, and I'll, I'll, yeah. So my mom called, my, you know, my mom's like, hey, well, I'll help you out. We'll, we'll, we'll call the local police department and see if they have like an intern who can come by and just walk around. And it just so happened the person who picked up the phone belonged to this organization called the Parents Television Council. And admittedly, I don't know that much about this organization. At the time, they were sort of like a, I guess you might call them like a media watchdog group. Uh, and, and I can respect what they do to some extent. I mean, they would, they would like create content where they would try to explain to parents like, hey, you know, here's a new album. Here's the content in that album. They would help parents try to make choices around like what sort of content, you know, uh, kids, but I think they had some viewpoints that, you know, you might say go beyond just inform being informative, you know, like where they would take, you know, sort of a stance on a certain issue. And this particular individual, his belief was that kids should not be playing Halo two in a high school. Oh, wow. And when my mom called, she's like, Hey, I'm, you know, my son's running this video game tournament. The police officer responded and was like, are you aware that, Halo 2 is an M-rated video game. I'm surprised oh, God. the school yeah, is allowing this to happen on <laughs> campus. And my mom's like, well, I'm not looking for your opinion. I, you know, my, my, we just, right. my, you know, <laughs> my son just wants to run this video game tournament. Do you guys want to help or not? So this guy's like, well, I'll call you back. You know, just, oh God, we'll stay in touch. Well, he never calls us back. He actually called my school district superintendent. Oh. And he like kind of pulled the authority card and was yeah. like, listen, I just got a call from a parent. Uh, there's this kid at your high school who's trying to organize a Halo 2 tournament. And I'm quoting his voicemail. I believe games like Halo are corrupting the minds of America's youth. Uh, oh this event God. is a hazard to public safety because kids are training themselves to kill playing these violent video games. Oh, my God. And I don't feel it's appropriate for this to happen inside of a high school. Yeah. And so our superintendent got this message at the time. And in my 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 community, there were some other like political things happening, like yeah. the superintendent was new in her job. She wasn't super popular with the teachers. And again, I'm not taking a, a viewpoint. Right, this yeah. is this yep. is all literally a newspaper. Someone can go back and read it <laughs> if they want. 
uh, <laughs> so, but you know, in her defense, she has this police officer who left a voicemail saying, listen, there's an event that's going to happen at your school. Yeah. You need to make sure this doesn't happen. And she basically revoked the permit that had been given to me yeah. just a couple days before my tournament was supposed to happen. Oh my God. And so she called my, you know, the local township community yeah. department, you know, they call my parents and they're like, Hey, we have to, we're really sorry about the council, your permit. We just got this notice. And I went into the superintendent's office. She played this voicemail for me and I was really disappointed. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I literally cried in her office cause I had put, you know, all this work, especially yeah. as a youngster, I had spent like three or, you know, they were between three to six months. I mean, this is something that's like a big deal in our minds as a high schooler, right? Like we were really excited about this event. We had taken all this initiative to like promote and get our consoles and do all this work. And, you know, then we were kind of being shut down for what I felt was just a, totally an unjust reason. Like there wasn't anything wrong with my event. It wasn't like there was like a safety issue or something. There was a philosophical difference in opinion or you know, what sort of content I should be enjoying as a 17 year old at the time. And, you know, I tried to explain this to my guidance count or that my superintendent, like, Hey, listen, you know, I've been playing video games all my life. Uh, I like, I don't think this is true. She didn't want to hear anything of it. Right. She's, she didn't know about video games. I mean, honestly, it's like, she, for, for, again, from her perspective, it's like, here's a teenager. Here's my local police chief. Like, who am I going to listen to? And she's new at the job. Yes. Right. So she didn't want to like, you know, I'm sure she had her, her reasons right. too. So I ended up having to write this, you know, blog post explaining to all the people that signed up. Hey guys, I'm really sorry. The video game tournament has been canceled because apparently Halo is corrupting your minds. And <laughs> I, I was pretty forthright. I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I was just like, listen, I'm really sorry. This, I'm sorry this happened. Everyone, if you, you know, paid an interview, you'll get refunded. Yeah. This story ended up going viral. So at the time, there was this website called dig.com back in the day. You might remember. Yep. Sort of like the precursor to Reddit in a lot of ways. And someone in our local newspaper did a story with the angle, you know, local teens try to do something productive, get shut down by the man. And uh, someone uploaded that to dig.com and it went viral online. Uh, and a bunch of people in like the broader video game industry, you know, caught the story yeah. and started randomly just messaging me on social media. Uh, Z you know, Zach, I heard about your Halo tournament being canceled, man. Like, dude, that's crazy. My church youth group, we have, ho we host Halo tournaments all the time. Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And I just got, an I just started getting a number of these messages, yeah. including uh, from Bungie. Uh, so Marty O'Donnell from Bungie at the time, uh, he wrote a letter to our local paper like totally sticking up for us. Wow. And I quote this, this, this is like in the, uh, if you look up gamers outreach, it's a yeah. little historical video. It's like, I challenge anyone to find content in halo. That's worse than what you'd see on primetime television. Yeah. I should know. I put all the audio in the game. Uh, you know, he basically just called out this. He's like, you know, I, <laughs> it's like, I just think this is ridiculous. Who are these people protecting like the moral high ground in your community? Oh, wow. Bungie studios will pay Zach and his friends any money they lost trying to organize this event. Um, and that was really cool. And, uh, and so, so we ended up getting like actually more attention right. from this event being canceled. And at the time I still wanted to host my video game tournament, like yeah. all these Xboxes sitting around, all my friends are like, well, we still want to play Halo. And I, as a gamer, you know, had always grown up with these sort of negative stereotypes 
around gaming and the gaming community, yeah. which frankly, in my own opinion, had been perpetuated by, you know, talking heads who, you know, right. get on a, a new show. Yep. Anytime there was something that would happen, we got to blame it on something. Let's blame it on the video games. Yeah. Right. And so that just became part of like, I think, you know, mainstream cultures thinking right or wrong, yeah. because, oh, of course, these gaming. So violent. You, know, you think about. Yeah. I mean, you think about the evolution of games too. you know, from arcades to like, you know, just the graphic interfaces of yeah. these things like. Yeah, fairly new at the time, right? And and kids are playing games, and there's all now parents are all concerned because that's like the new thing, right? Right. And, um, and I, I was just, I it wasn't something I agreed with. I felt as a gamer, listen, every time I play games, I don't even see, I even hesitate to use the word escapism. Yeah. When associated with video games, not that people mean anything by that, but just that when I'm playing games, I'm not trying to escape anything. Life is good. Yeah. I'm trying to add to my life. Like right. I see games as being additive. Mm -hmm. When I play games, it's to connect with nowadays to connect with my younger brother totally. yep. who lives three or four hours from me. Yeah. It's to enjoy a story. Yeah. It's to express creativity. Uh, it's to compete. Yeah. And I thought that those are always, you know, those are healthy attributes uh, of gaming. Yeah. And when we as gamers come together and celebrate those things, I think good things can happen. And so it occurred to me, you know what? We've done all this work to host a video game tournament. Let's run a new event. Yeah. Let's take any money from ticket sales. Let's find a charitable cause to donate the money to. Yeah. And we'll be able to demonstrate, actually, here's what happens when gamers get together. Right. Nobody's corrupting their minds, you know, doing this stuff. Like, this is, this can be, this can go from being a concern, you know, of, yeah. of the public to being a force for public good. Right. And, that's how Gamers Forgiving was born. Yeah. I wanted to run a new event for charity. Uh, we called it Gamers Forgiving. Yeah. And the very first event was a LAN party combined with a Halo tournament. Yeah. So we teamed up with a group of people who've been running PC LANs. Uh, this is 2008 now. Yeah. And then uh, we hosted our Halo tournament. And then to kind of help facilitate that fundraiser, Someone sort of offhand suggested, you know, if you're going to be taking donations, you might want to consider starting a 501c3. Yeah. Which is actually like a very over complicated thing to do if you're just hosting one fundraiser for yeah. the record. But I didn't know any better <laughs> at the time. Naively, I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I went to the bookstore, picked up Nonprofit Kit for Dummies and started oh, reading shoot. through. And I was like, yeah, literally. And then like I wasn't old enough at the time to like file incorporation paperwork. So yeah. like, my dad... You know, if you look up the original, you know, 990, I think from GameStop, yeah. like, you know, my dad signed the dotted line for me. He's like, hey, this seems like you're you're doing something good. You know, I'll... I'll wow. I'll, uh, so as a high know, school kid, you you're this is where it all starts. The charity... This was Gamers Outreach. Yeah, wow. Gamers Outreach was born. We hosted our very first Gamers Forgiving event. And just by doing that event, a bunch of people in the, in sort of the Midwest area came yeah. out. And, you know, we had all this sort of, like, we had some attention from the first event being canceled. Yeah it garnered awareness from actually Walshy, who is a professional Halo player who happened to live in Grand Rapids, yeah, which was a couple hours from us. He drove out and, you know, this is the time he's like at the peak of his Halo career, right? And he was like, hey man, you know, this is a really cool event. Like, I'm impressed with how it's been run. I think the cause is cool. I've been looking for something like this to, you know, to be involved with and I'd like to stay in touch. And that's how Walshy and I ended up becoming friends. Yeah. And just through, and there's a few other sort of social relationships that began from yeah. this one event from doing the event. I ended up accidentally networking with people in the video game industry. And at the time, you know, my interest was to work in video games. I never thought of gamers. I as being my job. I right. just thought, Oh, this is a fun, I, I want to do this event and it's for charity. It'll be a lot of fun. 
and so when my guidance counselor in school was like, you know, it's time to think about college. What do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to work in video games. She said, well, you should study a lot of math. And at the time, <laughs> that wasn't really the answer I wanted to hear. So <laughs> I, I was hosting gamers. You know, I had just started hosting Gamers for Giving. I just started meeting folks in the industry. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go take some time and figure this out on my own. Mm-hmm. I Somebody had invited me to PAX. I'd never heard of PAX before. Yeah. And I remember flying to, I think, right. I think I just graduated high school and I told my parents, I'm going to hop on a plane to Seattle. We're going to go to Penny Arcade Expo. And they're like, what's PAX? Where are you going? Why are you going to Seattle? Who are you going with? And of course, my parents are nervous. It's my first time really flying on my yeah. own. I had just turned 18 at the time. So, so yeah, there was, uh, I, I just was like, you know what? I'm going to go explore gaming on my own. And so Gamers Outreach, my thought at the time was, you know, after we did Gamers Forgiving, I became aware of the importance of charitable giving. And the the way I kind of phrase it now is, you know, I think most people, if you, first off, the natural state is to not be involved with the cause, right? Unless you have a personal connection to something in your community, an illness or, or something has happened, or you've made somehow a, a leap of faith to get involved, or you had really encouraging parents, or you're part of a community where like giving was a thing. Most people start out as being inactive in a charitable cause of some sort. And it takes that spark to get involved and start realizing giving back is a, is a, I think a crucial element of creating healthy communities. I think, especially in today's conversation, a sense of altruism is, I think, a critical component of not only building a healthy community, but also, frankly, finding happiness uh, and making friends. If you don't give back, no one will like you. Yeah. So, just you know, that's <laughs> it's a helpful thing to keep in mind. There is, there, it's fine to have some selfish intent. I think, yeah, getting involved in a charitable cause. That's my own opinion. Um, and so, I was like, you know, this is really cool. Like, this event was fun. People had a good time. I had a great time organizing it. And we did a fundraiser. Our first event was for a local chapter of the Autism Society of America. And I thought this was really fun. They, they benefited from it. It yeah. clearly made an impact for them. And so my reasoning was, you know what? We should keep this going. Let's do it again next year. And so long as this doesn't interrupt college or other my job, things I want to yeah. do, we should keep doing it. Uh, and that's how Gamers Outreach was born. The second year, we uh, ended up it started, you know, we started trying to think through like, okay, well, what's the charitable cause we want to right. raise money for this year? And I, so, uh, somebody had suggested our local children's hospital yeah. uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Sometimes they would try to buy video games for the kids. And they said, you know, you're doing this video game event and maybe it'd be relevant to like go support the hospital and do a fundraiser for them. And so I called up the hospital and uh, Mott is a teaching hospital. They're affiliated mm-hmm. with the University of Michigan. I think they were a little more willing to like hear out an 18 year old at the time, 19 year old. And so I stopped by the hospital and they said, Hey, it's really great. You want to do this event. You know, maybe you could help buy video games for the kids. We actually do that sometimes. It would be relevant for your fundraiser. And what I ended up learning just from just this one visit at the hospital was that they were buying Game Boys and PlayStation portables for the kids. And they were continuously doing that. So they would raise money. They would buy items for the kids in the hospital in that moment. Yeah. But as soon as those kids left, so did uh, the equipment they purchased. Yeah. And as a donor and gamer, my sort of thought became, well, 
that's really cool for these kids, but ultimately you're not really like, like I'm just going to have to keep fundraising for the same right. thing over yep. and over and over again. There's no end to this. What if we built you a tool to keep all those games within your environment so that instead of you like giving away these things, you could just roll it room to room potentially. Uh, and I used to have like this little cabinet in my bedroom where my games exist and it had wheels on it. And I was like, well, maybe we could build you some sort of like cabinet or apparatus to like hold an Xbox or a PlayStation. And that's how we started constructing these like portable video game carts. The go-kart. Um, so the go-kart, yeah. So I'm kind of like going through the history here at Gamers Outreach. But the, the discovery I made was like, you know, the hospital needed a way to make sure games were secure and mobile in their environments. And so I thought, okay, well, let's build some sort of like apparatus to store your games. And we ended up calling a medical company. We repurposed like an existing product they made. We built this one gaming cart. So we did our, our next event. We raised some money. We used the money to buy this gaming cart. The hospital loved it. They asked for another one. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll, we'll wait until next year. We'll buy you another one. Uh, then a neighboring hospital found out what we had done. They asked for one. And then simultaneously, while this was going on, I was starting to network with marketing agencies in the video game industry. Yeah. And so uh, as an example, um, there was an, an agency called Encompass. Mm -hmm. And they, I was one of the only people who was sort of organizing these esports events outside of like MLG and, you know, ESEA. Yeah. And who, I ended up working for Craig Levine actually directly for a number of years. And that guy's awesome. Uh, he gave me one of my first jobs in the industry. Um, but these agencies would hit me up and they would say, you know, hey, um, Activision's hiring us to host Call of Duty XP. We need some help managing the players. Would you want to fly to Los oh, wow. Angeles and, and work this event with us? So like I, I'm looking at it right now, actually, on my shelf. One of the very first events I worked was, uh, you know, Call of Duty XP back in the day. Yeah. And I think that event was, was that 2011 or 2013? I think it was 2011 when COD XP happened. Someone might need to, my memory's really bad yeah. now. <laughs> Sometimes I have to <laughs> fact check me on that. But I would go out, and the point of the story is I would end. I ended up meeting other people in the gaming industry. Right. Became friends with a lot of the pro esports players because yeah. I was like, you know, responsible for helping make sure they knew where they were going during yeah. the live events. And then they would just sort of, you know, as they, we got to know each other, they would find out about the stuff I was doing via gamers outreach, and they'd yeah. say, you know, Zach, that's really cool. I saw you like I saw on Facebook you posted about delivering that gaming cart. Could we build one for a hospital in Seattle? Could oh, we wow. build one for a hospital in Los Angeles? And so Gamers Hour just organically started growing yeah. over the years. So fast forward uh, 16 years now, uh, Gamers Hour now has a presence in about 400 healthcare facilities. Wow. Uh, primarily in the U.S. We're yeah. in almost every, we're in pretty much every children's hospital yeah. across the U.S. We estimate our devices enable as many as 5 million gaming experiences each year for kids and families. Uh, and that's across all the, you know, the gaming carts that yeah. we've deployed. And really, our focus as we've matured, as the organization has matured, the realization I started coming to was, it turns out the problem that existed in my local children's hospital yeah. exists across all hospitals. Right. There's a lot of emphasis on research and treatment. And because of that, quality of life takes a backseat. Yeah. And that's not a knock on the doctors, you know, no, the folks it's... doing their job. Yeah. They just want to be, they want to heal them. And, but part of that healing experience is the, the mental aspect of it. Yep, exactly. And so there's really been a, in my opinion, there's, there's, there's a lack of resources that are really able to be committed to the entertainment experience, even though it's an important aspect of healthcare. Yeah. I feel gaming 
makes play and activities accessible at scale. Mm -hmm. A 10-year-old has as much fun on an Xbox as someone like me in their 30s. And so in that way, games transcend age relevance. If children are stuck in their rooms, they transcend physical barriers. If um, you know kids are looking for opportunities to socialize, if the healthcare workers are trying to distract kids from a treatment or lower anxiety, I mean, now we're seeing all these instances where games are making an impact in hospitals and actually helping with the healthcare process. And that's all been stuff we've learned along the way. When we started, my naive, you know, <laughs> and, and you see this kind of theme of naivety throughout gamers' arts history, really. But my naive thought was, well, I like games. If I was in the hospital, at the time, I would have gone to a, a pediatric hospital. If I was here, certainly I would want to play video games. We should give the kids video games. And, um, you know, now it, it's what we've learned, of course, is that games are making a really tremendous difference. And if we can help hospitals manage their video game devices, manage their video game content, we can enable play for all the kids and families at the same time. And I don't think it's just applicable to kids' hospitals. I think adult hospitals as well, especially as we're all growing up now. It's like, listen, man, if I had my wisdom teeth out, I mean, I did. I had my wisdom teeth out in my early 20s, I, which was late. I was sitting playing Mass Effect. Like, that was great. You know, yeah. like it was a, I had a great time. I didn't even think about it. I was like, this is, I'm sitting on my couch for two weeks. I'm yep. eating mac and cheese every day. I'm going to play Mass Effect. And it, I had zero guilt about not doing anything else because I was like, I have to do this. Yep. I have to be here and recover. So, yeah, I think um, I, I, I've really become very enthusiastic about the work we do. I yep. think, I think it's a great calling for gamers, really, because in order to do this work, you have to have knowledge of how, video games yeah. are connected in these environments. You have to have some knowledge of the network requirements mm -hmm. in hospitals, what games kids should be playing, how yeah. these devices can be implemented. And so really, if you're not a video game enthusiast, this you're, you're not going to be able to work on this project right. to some extent, or if you, if you don't at least have basic knowledge. Uh, and so in that way, it's up to us as gamers to solve this problem. Yep. This problem will not get solved if we don't step forward and help make an impact in these environments. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, and and like anyway. you, like you were saying, the you know the fact that we're all getting older, all of us gamers. I'm I'm a child of the '70s. I remember the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. You know, growing up playing video games all my life. Now you've got fifty year olds, forty year olds who just gaming is not a foreign thing, and it's just a part of everyday life. And now we know how much gaming can help people. And now you know by you through your organization, we can you know we've got professionals who are ready to you know donate or help or whatever we can to to help spread that you know that out to the other hospitals totally you know and a big reason our work exists in the number of hospitals i mentioned earlier is really thanks to gamers coming forward and fundraising yeah a lot of our if you've probably seen online i think it's actually how you dm me yeah um we will host a handful of events throughout the year where streamers will step up yeah they'll raise money with their communities and then we'll take those funds and we're able to support either hospitals on our wish list or sometimes yeah. even hospitals based on the streamer's request. You know, over um, the fall, back in October, there's this group called Hermitcraft, yeah. uh, a group of Minecraft creators, and they raised like f over $400,000 Holy crap! in the course of four hours. Wow. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for like, that's a very like anomaly type fundraiser. Like that's what they achieved is remarkable. And um, we're now delivering like, quite a large a whole fleet of our gaming cards 
to hospitals that they've requested. So we're reaching new countries now. We're now and we're we're fulfilling wish list requests that we've had for a period of time. Uh, actually, next week I'm flying to uh, Portland to meet up with one of them, and we're gonna kind of visit a hospital that's happening. So that's getting a go kart. So um, you know, it's really remarkable. It's so cool, you know, to see the gaming community make this impact. And I feel excited to be a part of this and a really a great sense of responsibility as well from a stewardship standpoint to make sure we are being as transparent as is reasonable, you know, to let people know what we're doing, you know, with funds. And, and so we try to write an annual report every year. We record like during Gamer Show Giving, we always try to, in the last few years, we've tried to record video content to kind of like give people a sense of like, here's what we're working on. Here's what we think is important. Um, so the folks know where their money's going. Um, and so we're, I, I think as far as charities go, we, and I, I'm biased saying this, but I think we're pretty much as transparent as it possibly gets because yeah. if people donate, we build tangible things. Like we yeah. build these gaming carts. We have these cool vending machines we're working on right now called Save Points. Oh, cool. uh, so we've added a few more programs since yeah. the, the go-karts. Uh, really, we're trying to create like an entire entertainment ecosystem in hospitals. Yeah. Like the, the phrase I like to use is, you know, one day we want to look back and ask ourselves, remember when hospitals didn't have video games? Yeah. Like that's the big goal. And the way we're sort of trying to approach that is by, you know, building the go-karts. Those are yeah. sort of like a hardware tool. We have these uh, things called safe point machines, which are like, uh, we only have one right now, but we have like a couple more that we're, we're going to place hopefully this year, just depending on fundraising results. Yeah. And the, the goal is for those to be like distribution hubs. Yeah. So like if a kid's going through treatment, you know, the hospital can like award them, you know, tokens to go use the uh, safe point okay. machine. Yeah. The more fun idea we have is I really want to almost like take a, take some inspiration from like Chuck E. Cheese and use these machines as like hubs for prizing. Yeah. Like if we run a tournament at the hospital for kids, like yeah. congratulations, first place, you get 10 tokens for the save point. You can go claim a really cool prize. Yeah. Maybe we work with brand partners to like, oh my gosh, there's a Herman Miller Logitech chair, you know, like, right, yeah. like something absolutely ridiculous, right? One of the machines and just like creating that real fun sense of wonder and excitement for the kids. Yeah. That we're pretty pumped about. I think this, I think the program, it's very early stages right now, but yeah. like fast forward three years, we have a lot of really fun ideas for it that I'm hopeful will come to fruition. And then um, we have player two, which is a volunteer program right. where gamers yeah. volunteer and sort of like trying to like bring Best Buy Geek Squad into hospitals, basically, yeah. like up with tech support. Uh, and then we have another program we've been noodling on for a while uh, called Portal, which is basically a software platform that helps hospitals manage content yeah. across hundreds of rooms. And um, we're going to be doing some more serious development on that this summer, which we're excited about. Uh, we're piloting it with uh, Seattle Children's is the plan. Um, so hopeful to share more news as it yeah. kind of gets worked on. But the whole idea is that if you combine all those things, in a hospital it's like you have you can solve all of it uh, or right. at least a good chunk of it and i think there will always be you know other little nuanced examples where it's like okay let's you know this kid wants to play games on an ipad this other kid right we can give them a gift bag you know of course like there's there's tons of this is this is just like sort of one piece of the overall yeah. system but um i think taking care of the gaming solves a huge chunk Yes, of the sort of entertainment vacuum that currently exists in a lot of yeah. places. So, and now, how are you dealing with like you know because everything is digital these days, you don't have to worry about the discs and whatnot. Is that something that you're you're trying to actually build into what you're bringing to the hospital so they each system has access to the library of games, whatever the kids want to play. Sort of you know their lot, the hospital is governing what games they have access to, but so that all the kids can play the games. Yeah, that's that's a great question. This kind of speaks to some of the nuance of medical environments yeah. that we work in. 
I and again, this is my own my own opinion speaking here. I I have probably set foot in nearly a hundred hospitals around the country at this point over yeah. the years. And I would compare hospitals almost similar to the public school system mm -hmm. where what I mean by that is if you go to a certain school district where it's maybe an affluent area, yeah, that hospital that that school might look like a college campus. Yep. Like best like the the football field is turf yeah you know the kids have the best curriculum right there's like a whole graphic design department right. and they got whatever. the 3d printers they've got everything yes the latest and greatest yeah. yeah and then you can go 40 minutes or an hour up the street and an area that's not as well funded and the teachers are struggling to give kids pencils right. they want better pay right and so um in my own opinion i, I think you could like and this isn't totally accurate but you know just broadly thinking on it the hospitals we work in are resourced in almost similar ways where like there might be a hospital that's city funded. And if mm -hmm. the city is going through a hard time, that hospital has less resources to work with than yeah. a hospital that might be more sort of brand name to the state. Right. Um, or might be university affiliated in some ways where they have like an endowment fund or yeah. you know big alumni network to reach out to for donors. And so one of the things we try to do is um, sometimes we'll try to guide donors yeah. If someone says, you know, I don't have like a strong affiliation with a particular hospital. Oh, great. We can recommend some to you, you know, yeah. that don't get thought of as often oh, that's as good. others. So that's an approach we try to take. And on the question that you asked, you know, within that, you know, these hospitals, the the infrastructure within these places yeah. varies across the board. Sometimes we're working with hospitals where they, they have like a DVD folder that they're still, you know, they're pulling yeah. out discs, you know, because they want the kids to watch movies. They might not have great internet in the True. hospital to yeah. where they can stream Netflix. Yeah. And so, uh, and I'm thinking of some very large hospitals where, yeah, they're pulling out the Blu-ray folder, right? Yeah. And so you'll notice in like, actually I have one of the go-karts behind me. We have like little, uh, we, you know, we try to deliver consoles that have, uh, you know, that you can insert a disc to. Right. Yeah. So that a hospital can make use of stuff they might have already. Yeah. Now some hospitals to your point, like do prefer, games digitally installed and great yeah. news. You know, we can set up an account on an Xbox games are digitally installed. And usually when like if someone raises money for a go-kart, yeah. part of our job is we actually hire people. We have an operations team and part of their job is each week they're taking a certain number of Xboxes oh, cool. or playstations. Yeah. So we have two guys, George and Martin on our team. Yeah. Uh, who are Martin is responsible for go-kart logistics. So yeah. he coordinates like go-kart shipments and make sure they get to the proper place. Yeah. And we have another guy named George who uh, does support, but he also helps uh, prep consoles for delivery. So, yeah, uh, you know, we have like kind of a, a starter kit of games that we'll yeah. install. So we'll install, you know, family friendly titles, things that are like not debatable in hospitals in terms <laughs> yes. of like content for kids, yeah. Lego games, Minecraft, Rocket League. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we install that stuff on the console. We send it to the hospital. What the hospital does with it after that is really up to them. So yeah. we're available to provide ongoing support. If a kid gets mad that he lost a game and throws a controller, we encourage the hospitals to reach out to us and yeah. try to replace it. That's sort of part of our commitment as a nonprofit is like so long as we have funding and exist, yeah. we want to try to be of support to the hospitals. Um, and so it, as a kind of anecdote there, like, you know, when people donate to gamers diaries, if someone just randomly donates twenty dollars on yeah. our website, it funds those sorts of things. So like our ongoing yeah. activity, which helps us support hospitals. But we really, yeah, leave it to hospitals to some extent. We don't know at an individual level. Yeah. Okay, this child is fifteen years old. The parents are okay with this child playing Call of Duty. Yeah. It's not really our job to moderate no, that. Not. It's 
yeah, we leave it up to the hospital yeah. to you know decide in that yeah. that sense. And how about like f- for like assistive controllers and things like that? Are you you know are the hospitals? Hey, can we include this for you know this you know for this department of the the hospital? Or you know how do you you know is that an option for the hospitals? Yeah, when we it's a great question. I the topic of assistive assistive devices in hospitals is particularly relevant. It's one of those topics though that it's it's actually kind of similar to the question I just answered previously. At an individual level, um if you are working if you're a healthcare worker and you're supporting a patient who yeah. would benefit from like the Xbox adaptive controller right, as an yeah. example, it's really up to that healthcare worker to work with that patient to create the setup gotcha. that that child might want or need. Yeah. Um, we have on occasion delivered accessible devices with go-karts. Um, it's something where if the hospital asks for it, we can provide them. Um, the, the, the challenge with those, even if we were to provide them with all go-karts, which we don't at the moment, but if we were to, even if you give those items to the hospital, the use of them is still dependent on a health worker on the ground level who is able to, you know, really support kids. And the, one of the challenges in that is I'll mention like of the hospitals we support, a number of hospitals are starting to create roles for let's call them like digital activity specialists, like someone whose whole job in the hospital is to like manage playtime with the kids, you know, manage the, you know, the iPads, the laptops, the go-karts, all the different things that are kind of like starting to float around. Um, the, the, still one of the challenges so first off one those roles are starting to exist but there's still a bunch of hospitals that don't have those roles and then even in the case where the roles exist or if they don't but the person happens to know about games you still have a time management issue and the example i try to paint for people is like imagine you're a health worker and you're responsible for 10 rooms in a shift yeah and this is just like easy math here yeah the way you budget your time during your shift matters a ton because if you are, at, let's say you have a 10 hour shift, right? Yeah. Again, easy math, 10, 10 rooms, 10 hours. Okay. At most you can commit maybe one hour per room in the day in the shift. Now, maybe some of them, you don't need an hour, maybe something you do, but that doesn't account for the fact that you probably need to eat lunch. You probably need to do some paperwork, send some emails. Like, you know, you're doing all these other things that, that take away your time from patients. So really you're, you're coming down to like, okay, maybe you're actually only spending 20 minutes with patients. You have to fill out charts. You have to, so hospitals, a big way hospitals determine efficiency is actually by considering what are our staff spending time on? And that informs efficiency for staff. And frankly, I think it's actually a value of video games in hospitals. If we can demonstrate video games help alleviate burdens of staff and help create more time that's immensely helpful in some ways we're seeing that uh you know a story i tell regularly we had a a child that was being supported by a go-kart um this particular kid had really severe burns on the side of his arm and uh every few days health workers were coming in to like change out bandages it got to a point where this kid was really anxious over the process though because it's really uncomfortable and six different workers were holding him down to complete the procedure Someone found out he liked playing Lego Batman. They wheeled him one of our go-karts. They let him play for a couple hours. By the time his procedure was supposed to happen, his only concern was whether he could keep playing Lego Batman. <laughs> so he was totally distracted. Yeah. Anxiety was lowered. Yeah. It went from six health workers helping this child down to two. 
Perfect. One to change the band-aid. Yeah. The other to hold the second end of the controller. Like this kid <laughs> gave his arm and was like trying to play the game with one hand yeah. while the health worker was helping. Oh shit. And that's a big deal because suddenly, you know, this kid three points. This kid is having a better healthcare experience thanks to games. Yeah. The workers are having an easier time doing their job. They're not trying to make this kid's life worse, right? right. They're just yeah. trying to you know, help them out. But then there's an economic argument to be made for the hospital because those four other workers can go support other patients. Right. Yeah. That's a big deal. And so we see this. We we had another kid who was trying to uh, regain mobility, and the health worker was asking this child to complete standing exercises each yeah. day. And after um, you know this person had been completing exercises, they introduced one of our go karts, and they're like, "Hey, while you're standing, you can play video games." The child ended up standing for three times as long as they had previously yep. when video games were introduced. Nice. And so that's those are called that uh, you're helping patients reach yep. outcomes faster, potentially. Yep. Hey, you're you're it's it's kind of like I, I the way I compare it, it's like it's like if you go to the gym and you're listening to your favorite, you know, your favorite song comes on, yep. you got your your earbuds in, and it just gives you that little extra sense of like I'm gonna, you know, right. Rocky, and the Rocky song too. is on. You know, you just right. you don't think about it. Yeah. You're in the zone, you know? So it's it's very similar, I think, in that way. I think you know, and these are just. I mean, I could, there's a list. We see this stuff every yeah. week. Um, so yeah, I think when it comes to that's a tangent on your original question of accessible devices. The 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 big challenge is how do you, I think, in hospitals at least, roll that stuff out at scale. Yeah. And it's I I think inevitably at some point we'll get to a place where more health workers are more familiar with games, and so yeah. that might be. But even as a gamer, you know, if you're not someone who has fiddled with an accessible controller or gone through accessible settings. I mean, I, it would take me like, I, yeah. I don't really play with those settings personally. And so yeah. for me to sit down with someone, okay, I'm going to, I need to spend some time like, okay, what is this game? Yeah. Are there accessible features in this game? That's question one. Sometimes the answer is no. Right. Yeah. If there are, okay, how do I like adjust this controller? Yeah. Right. So there's some great groups that work on that stuff. Um, you know, able gamers is a big, uh, advocacy organization. Yeah. They do quite a bit of work helping, Provide grants to people. Uh, they help developers, um, you know, be mindful of yeah. putting accessibility features in games. Special effects is another one in the UK. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, those are the two groups that come yeah. to mind offhand. Um, so, yeah, we as gamers outreach, our focus is more broadly, like how do we make video games exist in hospitals? Well, and, and that yeah. goes into my other question that I was going to ask you about: Are you working with you know hospitals or doing trade shows to help? you know, pitch that idea to, to let hospitals who may not even know about it that, Hey, yeah, put this, put this program in place and, and it can help your, you know, help the kids help the, the, you know, healthcare workers as well. Yeah. The short answer is yes. Uh, we attend conference, like we attend, we usually attend, participate in the, what's called the child life conference each year. There's a handful of sort of like medical industry trade shows you can go to part of it though, is just a, honestly, the, the, the big challenge is it's just a financial quandary. You know, uh, I just, I have it somewhere on my desk here. I was just reading it the other day. Children's Hospital Los Angeles just mailed me, I'm looking for it. They just mailed me their annual report and I will pull it out. I have it right here, actually. Check this out. Uh, I want to cite a number. So in this report, they've got their statement of operations. Last year, they had total operating revenue of $1.3 billion dollars. And their operating expenses were $1.44 billion. Holy crap. So there was a loss of 50, if I'm reading this right, yeah, uh, there was a loss of $59 million for the hospital. Yeah. So, and I think the last one of these I saw, they maybe had a surplus of like 500K. 
Um, if you're a hospital, your first thought is probably not to buy video games. Yeah. If that's like the financial situation you're fighting against. Right. These hospitals are fundraising. They're trying to get grants from the state. You know, there's all sorts of things that are going on. You know, even in a situation where like, oh, look, we have a 500 grand surplus. I mean, that's like, we need to hire a doctor. We right. need to get a surgeon in here. You know, what, what are the, so yeah. that's where, you know, if you were to install an Xbox in every room of a hospital, it's, it, I mean, that alone, buying the consoles is going to be half a million. Yeah. And then you're going to have to configure some piece of hardware to like affix that to the wall. So right. get and lost who's going to support that? And yeah. Right, right. So that's that's part of the reason you don't see widespread adoption of games in hospitals. Like, yeah. oh, this seems so obvious. Why don't all hospitals do it? Part of it is a priority question, you yeah. know? And, 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 and I will mention some hospitals are starting to prioritize it or they're looking for donors yeah. who can support these sorts of projects. That's why we really exist as a nonprofit in a large way is... You know, I, I think of nonprofits broadly, our role is to instigate commercial activity. And and this is sort of a belief I've developed in, in like really the last couple of years, funny enough. But, you know, the, the example I sort of give is imagine like a village in a very, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have access to clean drinking water. It's unlikely a water bottle company will come in and start selling water bottles or provide or transporting water into that place because that's not what they do. Um, and there's no, there might not even be an economy to support that, right? But a charity group can come in, build a drinking well. Maybe all of us believe from a value standpoint, like it's important for people to have access to clean drinking water. Let's help these people. We all pitch in money, we donate. Group goes in, they build the well. Suddenly, this community has access to clean drinking water. Fantastic. Well, fast forward 10 years, the people's health improves. The community grows larger. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, they build more homes. They build a marketplace where there's a little grocery store. And guess what? The water bottle company comes in, and now they're suddenly yeah. giving water to people. Now, people, and that's this is not, you can take this down a, another train of thought. Like, well, water bottle companies are profiteering. That's, I'm not, this is not a, a defensive Right. Capitalism or something, you know, but <laughs> the point I'm making is just simply the nonprofit comes in and instigates the activity. It yep. creates the environment for scale. Mm -hmm. I think nonprofits are very good at starting activity and for-profits are very good at maintaining it or scaling it up. Yeah. And our role as gamers outreach, I mean, we're, we're focused on trying to solve the problem, which to me is how do we make entertainment widely accessible in hospitals? Right, yeah. Let's do that through video games. Yeah. Uh, and we exist as a nonprofit primarily because especially when we started, it wasn't clear. And I would say probably still isn't as much of a thing that like, there's something like, do hospitals pay for this? Do patients right. pay yep. for it? I don't really think it's like, I don't think patients should pay for it. You know, there's no. like a philosophical piece there. So yeah, we exist as a nonprofit. We donate these items to hospitals. Sometimes we have hospitals that do have budgets. They say, okay, we, we actually have funding. We want to increase our entertainment offering situations. Yeah. Or they might have a donor internally. Like this has happened quite a number of times where like, a child has benefited from one of our go-karts yep. and then the parents come forward and say, Hey, this thing is awesome. Yeah. We need more of these for the kids. Um, and so that's in some ways expanded our work yeah. as well. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. How I found you, you mentioned earlier getting the streamers was Markstrom. He was like one of the first 10 people on my pod and we talked about his charity that he supports and he talked about, you know, gamers outreach. And I was like, Holy crap, that's such a cool concept. And then, you know, since I jumped into, you know, I my this whole podcast started from Escape from Tarkov. And then it grew, let's bring on content creators and hear their stories. And then it's like, Twitch, who watches people play video games? Like, oh, there's communities. And then you see the giving that the gamers' communities generate. And it's just remarkable. 
Yeah, Markstrom especially. I first off, he's I think he's our top fundraiser uh, in terms of streamers. Yeah. Like, and he just crossed like over two hundred grand raised. Um, or he had done it previously, but like he he's just put up phenomenal numbers. Yeah. Overall, his community like steps forward in, in a massive way each year. And what's so great about Markstrom, I, I'm just a big fan of his, but his story to me is really fascinating. And it kind of reminds me of, like, the, of the, the phrase, fate loves irony. He was studying to become a doctor. Yep. Actually, you might be, you might know this already. And you know, he ended up dropping out of, you know, uh, that pursuit to pursue his career in streaming. Yeah. And to me, it just feels very funny that like, you know, we exist and now he, in a lot of ways is supporting the patients and families going through right. these situations and helping their healthcare process and helping them recover yeah. you know, during their journey. So um, that to me, I, when I remember it was, I think it was the first year he was involved with us. I watched a video he had recorded um, and I, that just really struck me uh, as something pretty cool. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, he's definitely like, I mean, he's such a cool guy and the fact that he's involved every year and, you know, makes such an effort is so commendable. And, um, I'm just a big fan of his generally. So cool. Yeah. Now, how do you, Coley found us through him. It is. Yeah. It was, it's, yeah, this is, it's been a cool experience, the whole podcast thing. Um, how do you end up finding your content creators, your streamers? Do they reach out to you or do you say, Hey, I've got a, you know, are you interested in this? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a combination of both really. Yeah. I mean, our, our initial network of content creators, uh, sort of emerged from, you know, the esports scene from yeah. the work I had done, you know, in the industry previously. Yeah. Um, and then um, we have folks who found out about us organically in yeah. that way. And then some, and then we send out, uh, you know, we'll, we'll invite streamers too. We, yeah. we, um, we like to, I mean, we all sit around watching Twitch each day. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, like I'll have it on the background. Our team will have it on the background. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, um, you know, there's a, a handful of folks that like, we'll, we'll catch their content and we'll, we'll say, Hey, like, you know, does our cause resonate with you? Yeah. So, um, that's pretty much it. Cool. It's actually that simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we reach out, we, we try to explain who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, the nice thing too, is like anytime a streamer gets involved, yeah. you know, it's, it's helpful because they also are helping to spread the message of what we're doing. Right. Yep. And oftentimes they'll get other folks involved. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately I think to solve the challenge we're trying to tackle, that's really what it requires. You know, there's yep. no way a single group can, work on this problem. I mean, just in the U S alone, there are 6,000 total hospitals. Yeah. Uh, if you included all facilities, if you zoom out worldwide, excluding like China, like I think China has like 30 over 30,000 hospitals oh alone, but so India and China are sort of anomalies. If yeah. you exclude them, there's like 50,000 hospitals worldwide, you know, over almost a hundred thousand, if not more, you know, if you include those two countries and yeah. like, so it's just, this is a huge thing we're trying to tackle. Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately a lot of it is going to come down to like community advocacy and, and a lot of our sort of outward messaging you see is speaking to gamers, right? Yep. Because I think video game enthusiasts probably understand what we do the easiest, right. you know, like, yep. of course, all of us, Hey, I want to give video games to kids in hospitals. Makes total sense. I get yep. it. You know, um, we do have sort of more of an institutional voice when we speak to hospitals, yes. you know, when we go work with healthcare settings and yep. you know, medical uh, workers and who, um, and whoever else in those yeah. places. Um, but, but a lot of times when you're like reading our tweets or reading a blog post, it's kind of like a little bit of a 
well, like seventy percent, seventy percent gamer, thirty percent, yeah. you know. Well, because that's the reach, for, you know, from a tweet standpoint. That's who's you know seeing those, and you're know, going into the hospitals. You're going to go in a different path for the most part to communicate to those people. Yep. And oh, now, well. outside of the content creators, I've seen you've had you know Austin Creed, The Rock. Um, yeah, actually speaking and of the Giants. Uh, yeah, actually, I have this fun. It's in the background here, but uh, so Austin Creed. WWE wrestler went on uh, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, this is back in October now. And he competed on an episode of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. And he did a phenomenal job. We could not have asked for a better Wheel of Fortune competitor. If you go back and watch the show, like outside of him, like getting insanely lucky, like there's no, I don't think there's any way he could have done a better job. Um, he won 90 grand for Gamers Outreach. And the folks at the show sent us this really cool plaque kind of commemorate the occasion yeah so it's got his name his uh his uh his name here on the the plaque and um and so I, it's it's i actually don't really have i i've been meaning to hang it up on my wall somewhere but i don't have like a good spot for it yeah yet, so it's just gonna, that's kind so of sitting cool. behind the go-kart um yeah we you know we've been really fortunate we, gamers arch has been around for 16 years yeah. right so um i think organically there's a lot of athletes who play video games yeah. and they find out about our cause. We don't really have like an agency that reaches out to people. Um, yeah. we, maybe I... we should get an agency who reaches out to people, but um, a lot of times, like when you see us working with folks, it's, it's pretty organic. Yeah. Um, Cause I saw the cleats we... from the, um, Oh God. What's his name? The, uh, let's see. Launch. Casey. Launch, Kreider. Yes. Casey yep. Yeah. I saw the cleats. I was like, those are really yep. cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, actually I'm looking at those two. We've got, a, we've had a few people, uh, we've had a few guys uh, wear cleats of nice or gamers are each or last few years, especially. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty fun, man. I mean, um, shout out to Casey Kreider. Actually, he just, we just had our, we, we host a land party every year, gamers for giving. Yeah. And uh, we just did our first event back uh, in four years, which is crazy. And um, he flew out and was joining us. It was really fun to, to hang out. Awesome. Um, yeah. And we just did a, um, we, we have a, uh, we just had a partnership with Christian McCaffrey as well. Oh, no way. Um, we delivered some gaming cards, yep, to hospitals nice. that he was supportive of. And um, he has a really cool story. His, he had a young fan who was a big gamer and was yeah. in the hospital and unfortunately passed away. But, um, you know, to help honor uh, his memory, this um, Christian and his team have decided to, uh, you know, donate gaming devices to hospitals. Oh, wow. They reached out to us. And so we've been helping them you know, make that happen. And uh, it's just really cool. It's really fun to be able to work with these guys, you yeah. know, especially growing up playing sports. It's yeah. like, I mean, my football coaches, I remember telling, telling, telling them I was big on gaming and, you know, I always got black <laughs> for that. And so now <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, I had the yeah. last word, you know, so selfishly, that's kind of what always goes through my head. Yep. But it's just really cool, man. You know, it's, um, it's really fun to see these guys like reach out, use their platforms yeah. in the way that they do. And, um, you know, we're just happy to be a part awesome. of it. Um, the rock was a fun one. I think that's like my pin tweet at the moment because yeah. I just don't feel like, I mean, you know, the rock is like the biggest Hollywood actor. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, he's just like such a big personality and his team, you know, Xbox was launching their new console. His team was involved with that and they, they wanted to include sort of a charitable component yeah. with what they were doing. And he's, he's really big on giving back. Like he's yeah. super active and doing that stuff. And, um and of course uh you know we bring xboxes into hospital yeah. so it made sense for us to be included so um so yeah he donated 20 go-karts if i remember right uh to a bunch of hospitals yeah. maybe it was 30 20 or 30 go-karts yeah my memory's so badly right? <laughs> but he, he donated like a quantity of units and made a fun video about it yeah. and um it was really cool nice. it was it's yeah really fun and now over the years what's been some of the hardest parts about you know 
running this running gamers outreach like things yeah man i mean there's there's a list uh <laughs> first off it's de i mean it's definitely challenging running an organization period i think um you know i i i think as a as a an opinion again i i think everyone should take some time in their life to try to start a company and if you i in my mind a great way to frame that is to ask yourself are there problems that exist you're interested in solving or is there a problem that you're experiencing that you would like to see solved if the answer to that is yes you should form a company around it because really problems and complaints are calling cards for entrepreneurs if someone is complaining about a thing that's probably an indicator or some sort of market for it to provide a good or service yeah. to solve the problem. That's a great quote. Um, I like that. If there's a problem, there's an opportunity for an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, think that's like, that's, I mean, you can go on Twitter every day and watch like, okay, what are people, you know, what's something that's bothering somebody today? Right. Uh, what are things that are bothering me? And just developing that sense of awareness, I think is really the, the, the big difference. Most yeah. people, I think a lot of folks, if they're struggling to come up with an idea, like it help, framing in that way can be helpful to getting a bit of inspiration. Um, and then actually like getting started is really the hard part. I mean, coming up with the idea is one thing, but yeah. the process of, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. What do I do now? What do I do now? And then learning along the way, it, it's time consuming. You know, if you, you have some people who are fortunate to maybe have really great mentorship. Yeah. Maybe they're around other people who have done this before and can sort of like, it's almost like having a, like great mentors are like a strategy guide for a video game. Yeah you if you pick up a strategy guide that guy's going to tell you exactly go on this quest first right go to this random corner of the map and find this hidden token yeah yeah you know, and so you have this like oh i can what otherwise would have taken me 10 hours of you know wandering around is now going to take me one hour because of the strategy guide, right, right? Yeah. and that's really like what mentorship provides in that way um good mentors at least yeah um so anyway, I can go on a tangent with entrepreneur advice. I think that to me, that for me was a big initial hurdle. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, you know, in my hometown there, I, I wouldn't say it was, I was in an environment where there was like a lot of, you know, entrepreneurial resources. Right. And um, I, I hope so one day if I like make it big, I, I want to try to instigate that, you know, go yeah. back to my hometown and like try to create nice. in some ways. But I think that's, that's a big part. Getting started is hard. Thankfully there's a lot of resources. My recommendation uh, if someone is interested in starting their own thing, yeah. um, you know, looking for incubators, looking for accelerators. Those are some of the key phrases yeah. uh, in your community um, is a great way to start networking with other entrepreneurs and at least get around a group of people who are problem solvers. Yeah. Finding the people who are solution oriented or want to try to come up with ideas. That's a big key indicator because most folks kind of stop at identifying the problem. You right. need to go find the other people who are looking to also address these issues. Well, you so took, finding other. I was say oh, you ahead, took, uh, you know, your sort of exploration into this is actually more difficult because you're putting gear into hospitals, which is a whole nother level of you know approval and making sure it's all you know safe for the the rooms and whatnot too, right? Yeah, I mean to an extent, the it, it part of it depends on. I mean, so I I I, I hesitate only because I know friends who like work in like more extreme versions of healthcare that yeah. I would say they go through a lot more than, than we do. <laughs> Go-karts are like relatively, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's like a, a glorified shelf, yeah. you know, that we put an Xbox on. And so there are some considerations like durability. We want to make sure the go-karts, you know, as you wheel it around, if it bumps into walls, like we have to think yeah. about it. Everything's the plastic material itself. Um, you know, we like use UL certified resins that resist certain levels of heat yeah. and can be cleaned easily. Um, 
you know, but, but even just the process of figuring out how do you, how do you build something? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, um, that, that was a learning that, 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 that building the iteration of the go-kart we have now took me a lot of time because we were going through the process of like, okay, well, how do you build something? Right. Now, someone who does that, if you're like a product manager at a hardware company, it might seem obvious to you because that's what you do professionally, right. you know, but, um, when we were starting out, that was, that was a learning for sure. So definitely like, I think it was difficult, but it's also necessary you know, going through learnings all along the way is, I think, a part of anyone's journey founding a company. If you're running a nonprofit, I, I actually think in some ways it's probably more difficult, at least from a funding standpoint. Yeah. And I feel like I can say this with a level of objectivity now because um, last year I launched a pizza company with yes. some friends, and um, I've never had people write larger checks faster. Or a pizza company than I ever had. Like, it, it, like the we we rounded up like three hundred grand or so yeah. in like investment funding to kind of get our kitchen up and running. So, we, a quick quick plug. I started this company, Detroit Pizza Depot. I grew up in Michigan. We have the style of pizza. It doesn't really exist in LA. Selfishly, I wanted to be able to order better pizza living in the city. <laughs> and I reached out to a buddy and was like, "Listen, man, he he started a food truck back in our hometown." I was like, "Put away your truck. Come to Los Angeles. Like, people don't even they have no idea what they're missing." And so I reached out to a handful of friends and we rounded up some investment money to like get this kitchen up and running. Um, so far, so good. We have been open seven months now. Pizza is delicious. Uh, reviews are pretty good. Uh, I think we're at like 4.8 stars on the, most of the delivery apps. So we're trying to open kitchen number two, maybe this summer. Our first goal is don't lose money, eat for free. Right. The second goal is multi-million dollar pizza <laughs> mega corp. So and somewhere. Now, what is a Detroit pizza? Because I hear Chicago. So I'm from Newfoundland. So, you know, we're just used to frozen pizzas coming out of, you know, the grocery store. And then move it, living in Connecticut, Connecticut has their own style of pizza. Chicago. What is a Detroit pizza? Detroit style pizza is kind of like brownie in pizza form. Oh, okay. So Chicago style, you know, if you think of like the thickness of a Detroit style pizza, yeah. it's, it's actually more accurate to compare it to like a focaccia bread where it's got some substance to it. Yeah. You know, it's probably like an inch or two high, crispy edges. It's made in oil pans. Oh, okay. That's where there's like this whole origin story. Like back in like the late forties, there were these guys at a bar called Buddies in Detroit. Yeah. They would hang out there all the time. And they were trying to recreate focaccia bread that they had discovered in Italy yeah. while they were overseas during the World War. But they didn't have any square-shaped pans to like make the dough. So one of the guys worked at like a nearby auto factory, and he grabbed one of his oil pans, oh, cleaned shoot. it out, and they put the dough in. And then when they baked it, because of the shape of the pan, all the cheese kind of like bleeds to the edge of the crust yeah. and creates this like caramelized edge. Oh. It's really crunchy, really flavorful. So it's kind of like soft up until you get to the crust. And then the crust is like the payoff. Yeah. It's like it's just delicious. Um, and so they call it Detroit style pizza. They added to the menu, this place called buddies. Yeah. Uh, and then over time, like there were a couple guys who worked at buddies that ended up going and launching their own concepts. Yeah. So in Michigan, this style of pizza in other parts of the Midwest, this, this style of pizza is actually fairly common. Like if I were to say to you, let's order jets, let's order, let's order buddies, let's yeah. order cloverleaf, uh, high side, you know, it, it would just be implied. Oh, you're probably going to get, we're going to get a square shaped pizza. Yeah. Um, in Los Angeles, it doesn't like, I, I didn't know growing up that it was so regional though. Like as soon as I moved to LA, like for two years living here, I was like, where's the pizza? Like, does anybody <laughs> like, I'm not finding anything that was really landing with me. Yeah. And I would show my neighbor's pictures. Like, where can I find jets? And they're like, what do you mean? What is that? Like, yeah. is that a casserole? And I was like, no, this is, 
And then I realized, oh my God, people have no, people literally have never seen this before. Right. They don't know this is a, like, this is a style of pizza that exists. We don't even call it, we didn't even call it Detroit style beef growing up. It was just like, do you want to order Jet? You know? So yeah, now I'm should... like, we need to, we need to spread this message to the word. Like Michigan doesn't, we didn't, Michigan's a very strong pizza state, actually. Domino's was founded in yeah. Michigan, Little Caesars. Uh, uh, we have all sorts of like unique spots, Cottage Inn, places that exist. Yeah, your monthly uh, pizza house, I, I saw looks really good. Thank you. Yes, yes. The Detroit Philly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's like kind of a Philly cheesesteak remix. Um, we have one that I think we'll do later this year. It's like a carne asada pizza. Oh, okay. It's like little steak chunks with avocado. It's, yeah. Dude, it's... Uh-huh. We... Uh, yeah. I have ate more pizza in the last six, <laughs> six months <laughs> than I have in my entire life since we opened. Uh, yeah. Our local spot did one recently. It was like a cheeseburger pizza. With like yep. you know ketchup and mustard and some pickles on it. Oh, it was it was yummy too. It's funny you say that. We I just if you scroll through my Twitter, yeah. I think it was like a month or two ago, I tweeted we we're planning on making cheeseburger pizza as nice. well as like a monthly special. It's um it's I thought it was really good and we kind of like had some like In and Out style sauce on yeah. it. You know, oh nice. Just speaks to the area. Yeah. So asking people to when when people donate, it's really an expression of shared values. Right. Right. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like when I donate to a cause, it's because I believe this thing is important. It needs to exist in the world. And so you think about most non like a lot of nonprofits are an expression of of values. Yep. We believe preserving classical music is important. Yep. Symphony. We believe people having an understanding of history is important. Museum. Yeah. We believe uh, a certain religious, you know, we have a certain religious belief. Yep. You know, religious institutions. College, you know, we believe education is part. You know, not, you know, so there's all sorts of like nonprofits exist in a variety of forms. Yeah, we believe video games should exist in hospitals, gamers outreach. Right, and and so to donate, you know, when you're the the activity of nonprofits is quite a bit different in that sense. Like a, a nonprofit that raises a million dollars is very different than a for-profit company that generates a million dollars in revenue. Right, because people I actually are, think people are donating or not really donating; they're investing and expecting some money to come back, so they don't mind paying the money then. That that element of incentive is a, I, in my opinion, undeniable like piece of, you know, what instigates people allocating their funds in certain ways. Right. Yeah. And the role of nonprofits, and that's why nonprofits, I think, are good at instigating a founder is you have to find other people who share this right. these values with you. Yeah. And even when you do that, you know, for someone to donate. Ten thousand dollars versus a hundred dollars is very different. I have folks were willing to sign ten thousand dollar checks way faster than anyone has ever donated ten thousand dollars to Gamers Outreach, and that's not a critique. I'm just saying, like you know, comparing the two. Yeah, it's it's. I think if someone has a desire to start a nonprofit, you know, the first off, I mean, doing that, it's it's nonprofits make a tremendous. They do a tremendous amount of good in the world. Yeah, and the I would never discourage someone from starting a nonprofit. It's, 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 you really just have to make sure. I, I think I had this kind of like personal, uh, sort of philosophical wrestling match with myself yeah. at one point. You really need to make sure that the reason you're working on that nonprofit is because you believe in what's being done. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, you'll, you'll be with it for the long haul. Yeah. If it's something that you truly, I'm committed to this, for better or worse, we're making this happen. Um, and sometimes you, you get invited along the way to recommit. Yeah. I just saw this Twitter thread from one of the co-founders of Netflix just yesterday. Actually, it's relevant to this topic. 
he was telling this story about how when him and Reed Hastings went into uh, a meeting with Jeff Bezos at Amazon, yeah, Amazon apparently was considering buying Netflix, and the offer Amazon made was like, it was what was that like low eight figures? Yeah, it wasn't compelling to them at the time because they were already in it, and they looked at each other and was like, yeah, could we exit now? Yes, but do we believe this is like, does this really feel like the right thing to do given the activity we're starting to see yeah. and how 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 much how how far we've come? Not really. And it's funny because you know most people you hear like eight figures that's a ton of money, man. Right. Why are we on the table? But it, you know when you're in it, it's it's different. You perceive it all differently. Like eight figures for one person is a lot of money. Yes. But eight figures when you're building a massive global corporation is not a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I mean it's still a good chunk, but like. You know, you, you have to think about like the scale of the things you're working on. They require more resources. Yeah. It's not you're not you're not just trying to buy yourself Subway sandwich each day. You know, right. like okay, look, I can pay my rent and you know, feed myself. You're trying to build this giant network, which requires massive resources. Yeah. And they said no. They're like, hey, we're gonna go. We're gonna continue down this path. It, it's kind of like the same story they tell about Blockbuster. Blockbuster had that opportunity by yeah. Netflix. They didn't. And he made this point that I totally agree with. You get these moments where you have to decide. Are you going to keep going? Yeah. And I find this often happens when you have a big win or a major loss. Yeah. The big win happens and you feel, wow, does it go up further from here? We just delivered, we've delivered go-karts to every hospital in the country. Does it go further from here? Or when the loss happens, we just had a terrible fundraising event. Yeah. yeah. No, we have it, but I'm just saying right. as an example. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, like Is this a- actually early days of gamers outreach, like some of our very first events didn't really generate much money. Yeah. And I had to ask myself, do I want to keep doing this? Is this worth the time? Do people care about this? Like I care about it. And in each moment I decided to persist. You know what? No, I, I do like doing this and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And had I not had those little moments of decision, you know, gamers wouldn't exist right now, potentially, or maybe, maybe another cause might exist, you know, and and so on. But yeah, I I think that's, that's kind of a, a part of the, the, the psychological journey founders go through yeah. and oftentimes like the, the success the success stories are basically the founders who sort of navigate that and continue on. Right. And then are somehow able to dodge all the potholes along the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and some, sometimes potholes add up that you, you can't, it's impossible right. to dodge. I mean, yeah. if you look at the pandemic as an example, like if you were running a restaurant and oh, the government is forcing you to shut down, pretty hard i mean that's a that's a totally unforeseen like absolutely yeah circumstance right yeah. so even like the best operators are hey dude there's i don't i don't know what to do if yep, there's anything exactly so that's an instance where like maybe it's unavoidable but yeah. um you know as much as you can you're trying to find the, the the right things that line up to make it okay i can i can go to the next step yeah um so so i would say that's a very broad answer to your question like what was difficult about gamers Arts? i think Starting a company is difficult. People should try it themselves. It will at least build an appreciation for things that exist in the world. Yeah. Like the stuff that we all enjoy doesn't just magically happen. Right. It's because somebody thought it was worthwhile to make a mouse, yeah. to make a coffee mug, yeah. to make an annual report <laughs> for the hospital. You know, like it all comes from somewhere. The paper that made this annual report, you know, it's like it, it really helps you appreciate the world around yeah. us. Yeah. And now looking back over the 16 years, what have been some of the highlights? Are there some moments that stick out? It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, was it whether it's the first car you delivered to that hospital or, you know, something else along the way? Yeah. I mean, there's been a bunch um, and all for different reasons too. You know, I think first and foremost, making an impact and hearing stories from families and health workers yeah. is priority number one. And the thing that 
it never gets old. Yeah. You know, I mean, knowing that. Obviously, if we got to a point where health workers were like, "Hey, these games don't mean anything anymore," you know, like we're okay. Well, I guess we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, what we're doing isn't necessary. We'll see. Ya. Um, but that's definitely not the case. Yeah. We, we have, you know, obviously we have hospitals that are, you know, telling us like, "Hey, we want more games. Can we get more go karts?" Um, you know, I had a dad. I was, uh, I was visiting a hospital. This is years ago now, but there was a parent who was telling me like his son had a certain blood condition, mm-hmm. and he had these, um, you know, various tubes running through his body, and uh, he had to kind of walk around with. Um, uh, I'm blinking on the name of it, but like a little, like kind of a little, um, IV stand, stand or something. Yeah. Like an IV stand. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, sorry, I haven't ate lunch today. So my brain is like a little <laughs> slow than normal. He was, he was, so this kid was like walking around with this, um, you know, thing attached to him. And his dad was saying, you know, we often use video games to connect yeah. because my son and I, I can't take my son on the playground and toss a football around right. like other parents can't. Uh, you know, I can't go roller skating or do these other things. So instead we play video games yeah. and that's how we connect We, him and his brother and me. We, we like to play Ninja Turtles and that's what we do. And that, they were playing Ninja Turtles as we were, <laughs> we were talking. And he's like, you know, he said, thank you for doing what you guys do. Like this, having these games here, makes it, we play them every time we're in the hospital. It makes yeah. a big difference. And, you know, for the video game, for, for us, I mean, we see this, you know, every week. Right. I mean, it's happening probably right now as we're speaking, right? Like, you know, there's something happening in a hospital because they're playing on our devices. Yeah. And that kind of, those interactions just, they, I mean, they really light a fire to yeah. like want to make you keep going. Like okay. there's like, we got to keep doing this, right? We, we've got to like, we've got to build the world where hospitals all have video games, you know? And that's, and so it's just very um, inspiring in that way, um, you know, to know that, you know, kids and families are regaining a sense of joy and normalcy, um, you know, really thanks to the efforts of the gaming community. So that to me is the big win. Um, that supersedes everything else. I mean, we tell folks all the time, like we exist to support the hospitals and the patients in those places. And that's it. Full stop. If, if some, if a donor were like, Oh, I want to go do something for a hospital, but it wasn't clearly beneficial for the hospital patients. We tell the donor, we're not the cause, like you should go somewhere else, or maybe this isn't a good idea. So we always prioritize the well-being of hospitals and patients, you know, first and foremost. Um, I'll also mention, because I, I got sort of deep into our origin story, you know, we had the opportunity to uh, go on the CNN Heroes program back in 2019. So CNN, uh, every year they have this thing called CNN Heroes, where they'll identify different people who are running cool, you know, charitable causes, yeah. and they'll highlight their work, and then they'll sort of invite, like, the top people from the year to like a gala that they televised and we got invited we were one of the ones selected yeah so we're on this like televised gala anderson cooper hosted uh hosted the show with uh kelly ripa and then they have a bunch of like you know actors and musicians kind of introduce each person and they do a big fundraiser and it's really sort of elaborate event really fun and i thought that was like a really cool moment for our cause because first off it was a tremendous opportunity to highlight the work everyone has been doing for gamers outreach right. to sort of get this, like, you know, CNN has, they, I mean, they've got crazy distribution. You can go to an airport and they're CNN playing. Yeah. Right. And so that was a really cool moment of awareness for the cause. It was also, I thought a cool full circle story for our, for how we started. Yeah. Because now we as gamers are the talking heads of the media. Right. And so the, the great irony, you know, it all comes full <laughs> circle is, you know, the stereotypes that existed around games and the gaming community and, you know, like now we get the chance to tell our side of the story. Yeah. And I really gave props to CNN for having us on because I felt 
you know, that, that hadn't been really done often yeah. in the past, you know, now, now it's less, you know, again, I'm referencing stuff that really, right. You know, 2008 ish era was more of a thing, but you know, nowadays it's like, look, if, if a politician blames something on video games, it's like, okay, come on, man, clearly you're like dodging a, exactly. you're dodging the real issue yep. here, you know? Um, so, so I think, um, that was just a really fun moment, yeah. you know? And again, I just, I just, and from a story standpoint, I just felt like that was like, a really cool, like, you know, Excellent. sort of icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah oh, totally. Cool. And yeah. now if people are out there listening, how can they help out? Uh, you know, do you, do you accept donations of like games that people don't use anymore or really, or efforts or, you know, how can people help? We do. Well, uh, people can check out our website, gamersoutreach.org and all the information is pretty much there. Yeah. You can click donate. And then we have kind of a list of ways people can get involved, whether it's through, you know, donating funds, donating used video games, volunteering, uh, sometimes we have uh, volunteer opportunities that pop up in hospitals where maybe like uh, some gaming carts are delivered. People can go and help assemble yeah. them. Um, so there's all sorts of things that happen. We're looking for volunteers really at this point now, even around the world to some extent uh, to help, you know, with little things that might pop up in certain yeah. hospitals. All right. Uh, and then we're on social media as well at gamers outreach pretty much across awesome. all the, now all the how, how did the pandemic, you know, affect gamers outreach? Because there was, you know, nobody could go anywhere essentially. And hospitals were in a lockdown mode. Yeah. I mean, for us, the pandemic ended up, I think, accentuate. I mean, so all pandemic stuff aside, just in terms of the gamers outreach, yeah. you know, activities, the pandemic accentuated the reason we do our work. Yeah. Uh, because from a entertainment standpoint, oftentimes in hospitals, the people who are, providing toys to kids, reading books, the magicians, the therapy yeah. dogs. A lot of times those are managed by volunteers. Yeah. People coming to the hospital, volunteering to play music for the kids for the day. And during the pandemic, all volunteer programs were put on hold. Mm -hmm. And so as well, the kids who maybe otherwise would have been well enough to like leave their rooms and walk around to a playroom or you know, other areas of the hospital were stuck in their rooms yeah. because the hospital didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to instigate any spread. Right. And so we were, we were as busy as ever during the pandemic because video games were one of the few things kids could do. Yeah. And as well, there was also, there's a healthcare shortage right now. I mean, in terms of like staffing in hospitals, like yeah. staff, you know, we, we need more health workers at the moment. And so all these things were happening and video games are one of those few activities healthcare staff could turn to, to, try to prevent the kids from bouncing off the walls. Yeah. And so we ended up, I, I mean, we delivered more gaming cars than we ever have, uh, to date, yeah. um, during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Thankfully as well, the, I mean, we were very nervous at the start from a fundraising standpoint, the yeah. gaming community really stepped up. We ended up having some pretty big years of growth relative to gamers outreach, yeah. uh, in the past. And so we were able to fundraise, we had to, you know, make some pivots. Um, like in 2020, we are, we have our land party, uh, our event was supposed to happen right before the lockdowns kind of took place. And so we ended oh, wow. up canceling the event and then like the next week, you know, lockdowns happened. So yeah. it was the right decision. Um, but the, uh, you know, we had to, okay, let's, we're going to do an online fundraiser, I guess. Will people still participate in this? Yeah. You know? And so, so yeah, we were, we were definitely nervous. And I, I think even now, if you fast forward to the state of the world now, like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. The economy's in kind of a weird place. Mm -hmm. Like we're still, I think we had the sort of, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of the like direct uh, 
consequences of you know shutting down physical locations right. and and now we're sort of seeing the residual economic effect of that yeah. and and that's you know um hopefully those things resolve themselves you yeah. know in the near future but you know it's gonna be kind of a tough a spot for people so yeah. but you know our our programs still are happening you know we're we, we still have Excellent. a job to do we've got fundraising to do we still have needs to meet so yeah. we're hopeful we can keep you know keep fundraising uh keep making an impact in the hospitals we're trying to support and, and folks can definitely get involved if they're interested on our website awesome. yeah gamertires.org any uh any partners or people along the way you'd like to recognize that have been there for you guys oh there's so many i almost hate <laughs> answering that question just because if i leave somebody out you know i get i get called out yep. for it yeah i mean um just recently we announced we're building a new version of our go-karts nzxt was actually a big part of wow. helping us you know kind of redesign and rethink the gaming carts where we're, we're investing in a new manufacturing process that's going to yeah. let us build carts uh, in the thousands of quantities wow. in, instead of the hundreds. And um, uh, so we're very excited about that. And then to their credit as well, Child's Play, which is another video game charity, yeah, they actually funded a grant which uh, enabled the process we have now, which was a big reason we were able to really kind of get the go-kart program to where it is today. Yeah. So they've been a cool awesome. partner of ours. We still work together. So we collaborate um, quite a bit with some of the other video game charities that yeah. float around in the world. We've actually had funny moments where like, um, like Extra Life, for example, people have done fundraisers via Extra Life and then the money goes to the hospital and the hospital has come <laughs> to us and said, hey, we just got this money from this gaming group. Can we use it to build a gaming car? Right. Like, yeah, of course. So I really, I've had some fun conversations with like the Extra Life team over the years where it's like, hey, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but like we, <laughs> we sort of work together and that's that's just really cool to see, you that know? So there's a lot of collaboration in that sense. Xbox has been a huge partner of ours. You know, I mean, you look, look the videos we were just referencing that video with right. the rock, you know, for them to think about us while they're in the midst of launching yeah. a new console is very considerate. Um, and uh, I mean, just props to their whole team, you know, um, Aaron Greenberg's on our board. Phil Spencer has been a big advocate. He wore a t-shirt one year oh, shoot. Uh, during E3, which is like really surreal to see. And um, uh, yeah, they're just, they're just really cool, cool supporters. So yeah, I mean, I could go. There's, there's a list. I'm, yeah. I'm already <laughs> missing people. You know, no there's. Uh, we try to recognize. I will say, we, we actually do. Um, we're going to revamp it a little bit on our website later this year, but we are starting to like recognize partners, kind of from a legacy standpoint, oh, okay. on our website. So there's like a partners page in the Gamers Outreach website, and as partners reach sort of certain levels of giving, you yeah. know, they can like earn a place on our website oh, nice. uh, in perpetuity. So. Um, uh, cool. Yeah, we it's you know, there's a bunch of folks involved and um, everybody helps make an impact in yeah. their their areas. So it's pretty cool. Speaking yeah. of E3, how bummed are you about that? You know, yeah, I you know my thing is, so I on, on one, I see it both ways. I I my preference is for E3 to exist in its sort of traditional state. Right. Yeah. Um, I understand the world we live in where look at the end of the day if i'm a video game company i have an announcement i can just make an event and exactly. boom, there's the, if, yeah. if i if i want to put content to the world i can do that makes total sense also frankly you have more control right like maybe mm -hmm. you spend the same amount going to three that you would just producing your own event exactly yeah i totally get it i mean frankly we run our own land party for that reason you know like it's yeah. i it makes sense to me um as well i mean frankly even you think about like e3 from a business standpoint like i mean it used to be, you know, Walmart would come to E3 and they would have meetings to figure out like, okay, how many copies of Call right. of Duty are we going to put in our stores, right? And so that's what it was. Like, that was the business conference for the industry. Yep. Like, let's figure out 
you know, like how many consoles are we going to place in all in all the Best Buys and, yeah. and have those discussions. And and then it kind of morphed into, you know, more consumer show. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of industry people used to like, um, and I'm sort of indifferent to this topic because I, you know, we give games to the hospital. So yeah. when I go to three, it's just fun. But I can understand where, you know, if you're like, hey, I've got to have meetings. And but now we also have to think about like creating a whole fan experience. Like that's exactly. a lot of work yeah. or budget. Yeah. So I definitely understand all of that from the, you know, in a, a sentiment aside, like it makes sense why yes. companies in the gaming industry would be very like skeptical of that sort of format of show, given the world we live in. Yeah. Um, and I think just, you know, interpreting, like, if you look at like what Jeff Keighley has been doing um, with his like summer games fast, like yeah. it makes sense. Like, let's just showcase the game, you know, let's showcase the games. Um, you know, let's talk to developers and he, he's been trying to kind of like think about, okay, here's what, you know, what, what does this time of the year look like for the video game industry yeah. and how could we make that more effective for the video game companies? Uh, which makes sense. I think that's the priority. Yeah. My concern is more around less physical opportunities for us to gather mm-hmm. as video game enthusiasts and as an industry collectively. Yeah. Because it's very, I, I think it's very easy for us as an industry to become siloed generally. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you work at Activision? Well, you're going to go to that office each day and the chance of you going to visit another studio it's like pretty limited based on what you're doing yeah um so then it's like okay well you have to kind of sort of go like the bethesda route where well now we run QuakeCon, you know and yeah i mean they've been doing it for years but like you know like and i'm actually excited i'm planning to attend QuakeCon this year hopefully so uh as an attendee i want to go enjoy someone else's land party (laughs) um but you know they like like will companies now create their own events will right. xbox ha- i mean xbox was doing fan fest you know for a while will that come back and but then it, it i still think it kind of segregates fans in it some does. ways yeah and because so, fans are only going to pick which show they're going to go to where e3 right. was all right we're going to see microsoft we're going to see playstation we're going to see all this other stuff and it was a big experience you know meeting up with the other people and and you know yeah it was just you don't you're not going to get that anymore yeah, I mean, or at least until someone else creates it, right? Yeah. Like, like MLG, I, you know, going to MLG events back in the day, which I feel like were basically how I spent my college years. <laughs> um, you know, you would go, and as a Halo player, I was exposed to StarCraft players yeah. and Call of Duty players and people from the fighting game community. And part of the fun was getting all those interactions mm-hmm. um, where you otherwise... I mean, you wouldn't have. Right, and yep. so there was that additional layer of exposure. And ultimately, it means like somebody else has to step forward and create that sort yep. of event. But it's a lot of work to produce an event like that, you oh, know? Absolutely. And, and it's, there's a lot of cost, too. I mean, it's expensive to produce yep. trade shows. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, you still have like ESL, I mean, doing events. I, I don't know. There's, there's definitely like a, it does feel like there's a little bit of a vacuum for, or there's a little bit of a void, I should say, for like what used to be more like kind of grassroots, open bracket type gaming competitions. And yeah. then you think about like, hey, this is an industry like going to Penny. I mean, Penny Arcade Expo obviously still, I think, will remain a big consumer show. Yeah. If anything, it might make those shows bigger because, you know, E3, if, if, if E3 is totally shifting, maybe maybe PAX is the thing that fills that void right. in their various locations. Um, but even so, I just think like I think E three had sort of a unique vibe to it because it was an industry show. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and QuakeCon has its own vibe. You know, it's like PC gamers. Like, and I don't know. I guess that's the value of like the individual events. I'm just, I'm just. This is just a stream of consciousness. I, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about E three missing. I will say, as owning a pizza shop in in LA, oh, like yeah. it's a bit of a bummer because you also see 
like I live in downtown Los Angeles now and you know, shows like E3 bring so much activity to the city. Yeah. Uh, they really help the restaurants and that's so, it's so important yeah. to the city, you know, when it's still in the midst of trying to recover from the pandemic, yeah, you know, I mean, living true. and seeing LA during the pandemic, like downtown LA has probably taken like five years, maybe 10 years backwards. So oh, steps, wow. steps back just, yeah. I mean, you know, the pandemic really was, um, it was really hard in the city. And yeah. so, you know, I think, um, uh, events like E3 help bring people to the city, help encourage businesses to develop here. Um, so I don't know. There's ebbs and flows to it for yeah. sure. Uh, but um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm bummed. I hope E3 comes back. I hope it's meaningful for the industry if it does. Yeah. Um, that's my that's sort of my open opinion on it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All Not right. super conclusive, I suppose. <laughs> I see both sides of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey, so. I also saw that you were um, one of the highlights was the Forbes 30 under 30. That's kind of cool. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Forbes, you know, they every year they highlight the uh, entrepreneurs um, across different industries. Yeah. And um, we were reckoning, I said we, you know, Gamers Outreach was the reason I was on the list. Yeah. So I like to affiliate the accomplishment to our team collectively. Um, yeah, I will say that that making that list um, opened up a lot of opportunities for Gamers Outreach, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I've made, you know, some of my, on a personal level, some of my best friends have been other entrepreneurs, you know, or other listers, you know, based in Los Angeles. Um, And then we've received a number of donations, you know, thanks to folks on the list or, you know, being exposed to people from the list. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Every time that Forbes application pops up, like the internet loves to like uh, hate on the Forbes list. And it's fair to say like, you know, these awards and lists, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you, if you create a company, that in itself is an accomplishment. If you're generating yep. revenue, you're making a product people like at the end of the day, that's, that's really the true measuring stick. Yep. Um, th- th- there's all sorts of charlatans on these lists for sure. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I mean, I have some stories I could tell, but I mean, there's also you have both really. It, it's the problem is, is it's, it's the best of both worlds. It's kind of like these lists, they attract people that are movers and shakers. And yep. they also attract people who are trying to, you know, maneuver their way Finagle into their way, circles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, it's, uh, you got to keep a head on your shoulders, yep. you know, uh, your head on the swivel to, to kind of watch out. But, <laughs> um, I mean, it's case in point, like there's a, there's a story, I can't remember the, there was like a girl who started a company and she like, I think she got bought by JP Morgan. And then they found out like, she like fabricated, uh, like the number of users her software platform actually had, oh, and they wow. paid like millions of dollars. for apps, and now they're suing her. It's this whole thing. Oh, jeez. And um, and it's funny because like in the charges against her, they like, I think it, like the prosecutors like specifically referenced like that she was a Forbes under thirty lister, and so <laughs> oh god. Uh, some of the, we're in this like I'm in this WhatsApp chat with some Forbes listers, and they're like, oh Forbes list, like they're they're calling us out, man. Like, <laughs> and it's just like you know, it's kind of t- it's like some, like a little bit of a dig. You yeah, know? it's like. But the thing is, it's like, you know, if, if you, you think about like a, a business magazine like Forbes, you know, it's like people use that as sort of like the sort of reputational yeah. accolade. And, um, and, but it's, there's, there's, you, you see both. I mean, at the same time, you look at Mark Zuckerberg alone has created, you know, I mean, what is Facebook worth now? That'd billions right. and billions of dollars, you know, uh, you know, uh, the founders of Stripe. And I mean, you can start going through the list of like yeah. very successful under 30 founders. So there's, you see both, but yeah, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, that, that recognition for the organization, my personal viewpoint is I try to remove my own ego from it. Yeah. And, you know, first and foremost, it goes back to patients and, you know, the healthcare staff. Yeah. So, um, anytime we, if we are recognized in some way, if it's an award or something like that, I, I, 
try to maintain a sense of awareness. Like, yeah. you know, this is really uh, about um, the folks we're helping. Yeah. I definitely will. I won't be falsely modest. I'll take some credit for sticking with it through the years, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, good, good job to me. But, <laughs> but, 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 but and otherwise than that, it's like, you know, um, this work is only possible because we have a team of very committed staff. Yeah. Uh, many of whom have, you know, sacrificed careers elsewhere to be a part of Gamers Outreach. Yeah. We have a team of volunteers who show up in hospitals and to produce our Gamers for Giving event. And then there's a number of streamers who have rallied their communities to support this work in their local hospitals. And so I think of it as a, it's really a trophy for us as gamers to share. Yeah, um, yeah all the stuff, the CNN stuff, um, Forbes, other things that have popped up over the years. Yeah. Like, yeah, something that cool. something I think the community can be proud of. Yeah, know, absolutely. So now, when you're you know you're not doing the Detroit Pizza uh, Depot, you're not doing some gamers outreach. What are you doing? Do you have any time after you, you know, you leave to head home for the night? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, um, yeah. I mean, nowadays, you know, there's 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 a team. I mean, I do spend the majority of my time on gamers outreach and pizza. Yeah. I like to joke like, you know, it's my day is pizza and video games these days. <laughs> um, I, as on a personal level, you know, I try to try to go to the gym. I have a husky. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm I love my dog a lot. I post my Instagram stories are like probably fifty percent. Uh, I hang out at this park called Dog People pretty regularly. It's this like really bougie dog park in L.A. <laughs> uh, and it's just really fun. They have fun events, and I just I like kind of winding down there uh, with nice. my dog. Um, so yeah, I have a husky. I go rock climbing occasionally. Uh, I'm on a go karting team. Uh, played music my whole life, so I've you know I had a I started playing drums when I'm like sixth grade yeah. and have a drum set. Um, Do you go out to any live music? Is there any music, any bands out there people should check out? Um, man, that's, uh, I'm actually mad at myself because normally I'd have a list of recommendations. <laughs> I, let's see, I have to go through my phone to remember. First of all, well, okay, I will give a plug. Uh, a buddy of mine, Sammy Bowler, is actually a really phenomenal guitarist and people should check him out. Um, he's on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I have to double check his last name spelling, but S A M M Y E O L L E R. And um, he is an amazing musician. Yeah. Uh, I've never met somebody who has such a strong aura of music when yeah. you meet him in person. Like, you can just tell, like, dude, you, if you aren't, if you find yourself in a career where you're not playing music, you've done something wrong. Yeah. Like cool. So, um, yeah. Selfish plug, Sammy Bowler, rock and roll. I definitely love, um, I gravitate more towards like rock music for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I can start naming. I love like 80s metal, you know, yeah. like I just like it really 80s music generally. I feel like that genre, that, it was so. Are we talking about like, like glam bands or are we talking more like, you know, Motorhead and. A lot of it. I mean, really all of it. Like I love yeah. like Nitro back in the day, the hair metal band. Yeah. Uh, Michelangelo Badio, a phenomenal guitarist. Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, yeah. um, Metallica, Van Halen. You yeah. just start going through all these classic bands. Um, and also, out in your neck of the woods out there now, you had like Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, you know, the big hair, yep. you know. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, it's funny. I'm, I'm a little behind on like the modern scene yeah. because uh, I just <laughs> I don't have as much time <laughs> to commit to it, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so and then of course, I'm still trying to sneak in video games. Usually if I have like. A night off i'm i'm trying to play starcraft um i just downloaded the last of us on pc yeah um so I'm, i want to that the last of us actually is like kind of a gap in my gaming library i have uh i actually have the disc but i never ended up playing it yeah and um <laughs> i like 
So yeah, I've always like people like they bring up now. There's the television show. I'm like, okay, right. I have to like make time to play. This yeah, game. I gotta. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I gotta play the game before I can watch a show. I just never got around to playing it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's on my list. I, I installed it over the weekend, and um, I have to head up to it. I heard Cyberpunk. I heard they made a number of updates. Yeah, uh, I want to get that installed. I just built a new gaming PC. Actually, I'm gonna post it on Twitter at some point. I put a ton of effort into this PC. Yeah. Like I actually found a stonemason to build a granite desk. Oh wow. And this is, it's like really on the top, but like, I, yeah, I've like really intentionally like measured out like my chair to like proportionally, like where, yep. like how comfortable it is for me to like place my arm somewhere. And, um, yeah, buddy of mine's like a interior designer and we were like looking for, um, furniture yep. and he was like, he was like helping me find spot, uh, my, find items for my, my place. He's like, you know, man, um, if you want something like with, cause I was like, I'm really, I've got this idea. Like I've got my PC. I want to display it a certain way. I want the desk to look a certain way. And he's like, you know, you could actually just build custom furniture and connect me with a stonemason. Yeah. This guy will just like cut rock. And, oh, and it's wow. actually, dude, it's a pretty good deal too. Like not like, yeah. I mean, like we, the desk I was looking at, we yeah. got for half the price. Oh, wow. Nice. It. And um, yeah, it's, I'm going to post it on Reddit or something. Cool. Cause I, I feel very proud of what, of what we built. Awesome. Um, yeah, man. Otherwise uh, I read books and that's yeah. about, I feel like that's it. Read books, video games. What's what are you reading these days? Um, I just bought. Uh, well, the so the book I'm reading right now is called The Sovereign Individual. Yeah. Um, and I it's basically about. Sorry, I'm bringing up my my books tab here. <laughs> I'm kind of reading three books at once right now. Yeah. Um, yes, the, I'm right now. I'm reading The Sovereign Individual. Um. And it's basically it's it's sort of just a, a book about how if I were to I mean, I'm only like 30 percent of the way through, but it's, it's so far it's a book about how uh, technology is enabling more individualism. Yeah, basically. Like, OK, you know, stuff we kind of know, but this book was written many years ago. And so it's sort of like it was kind of prophetic and what it predicted. Yeah. Or what, what they're setting the stage for. Um, I read a lot of like mostly nonfiction books. Yeah. You know, um, businessy type books. Yeah. Um, I just bought Rick Rubin's new book. Um, oh, have you ever listened to his podcast? No. Oh my God! So it's uh, that a podcast. Yeah, Broken Record. And it's oh, that's awesome. Him with time, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell, and they talk. They bring on a, an artist, and they, all the backstory of like you know he had they had Tom Petty's sister on talking about how Tom Petty got hooked up with the forgot um, traveling Willberries totally by accident. He was hanging out with, I don't know who he was hanging out with, Jeff, whoever, what his name is. They ended up going over to, um, oh, somebody's house, and they were just jamming, and that's how Tom Petty ended up on the Traveling Wilburys. It was just, like, you know, crazy stuff like that. Or the backstory of uh, when he had Flea on. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a really great podcast. Definitely check that one out. Dude, that sounds phenomenal, actually. I have not listen to Rick Rubin's podcast, so I'm going to add that to yeah, the list for like, sure. I didn't even know he was a he was the DJ of the Beastie Boys. And I did not, no, I didn't realize that, yeah. actually. I, you know, funny enough, I don't know that much about Rick Rubin's background, yeah. except for that he's a music producer. Right. Um, and I can't remember how I discovered him, per se, but... Um, he was the producer for uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic for the Peppers. Yeah, I, I mean, I know his, he's got, yeah. like, a prolific history That's in the crazy. music scene. And I feel like I knew that vaguely, yeah. but I didn't really connect dots consciously until um, I saw like a video interview with him 
uh, and and then recently put out his book. And I was like, hey, this guy seems like an interesting. This person has interesting things to say. I'm curious what he's, yeah. what he's about. So. He he was the reason why Johnny Cash ended up doing all the covers for Trent Reznor's songs. He got them together, and the backstory of how about like they're both sort of like you know. Uh, you know, not really they're introverts. And yeah, it was crazy. It's a great pod. That, totally. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm looking it up for sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, Zach, thank you so much for doing this. But before you go, I gotta, you gotta shout out somebody who may have a good story like yours that should come on a podcast, not necessarily a gamer or somebody in the industry. I would be curious to hear a podcast with this guy, uh, Maritz. Okay. He is a partner at a company called Lightspeed, which okay. is like a venture fund. Yeah. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna put this in Discord. Um, he was a top Diablo player. Oh. Many years ago, and basically found his uh, his career path kind of led him into venture investing. Yeah. And he has been involved in a number of gaming-related projects. Oh, cool. And he just launched this Lightspeed. Uh, he's like a partner at this new venture fund called Lightspeed. Um, or at least they have a uh, like a gaming branch. I think yeah. that's new. All right. Um, if you were to do a podcast, I'm very curious because I'm, I've met him a few times. Yeah. And we're like in similar social circles, but I've yet to sit down and like hear like his whole full story. Awesome. Um, so... All right, there we go. Not sure if he does my podcast, but I'd, I'll, I'd be curious. I'm curious to know what he's right. about. So awesome. He'll interview us. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. It was awesome to meet you, and thank you for what you do over there at Gamers Outreach. Yeah, well, hey, Barry, thanks for reaching out, man. This was awesome. Enjoy talking to you.